Hello, welcome back to another episode of Alec Mappa, Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. I'm an Alec Mappa. I'm an Alec Mappa. I'm an, I was, I was so close, Matthew, to having a perfect <laughs> intro. I just blew it. It's I'm perfectly Alec imperfect. I'm an actor, comedian, and <laughs> uh, believe me, I'm and talented a hot in mess. some things. <laughs> and a hot mess. Who are you? I'm Matthew Dempsey. I'm a multicultural counselor and psychotherapist. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> Welcome to the happiest mental health podcast uh, in existence. Um, I've been getting the best notes from everybody on Instagram and Twitter uh, saying thank you yeah. for talking about the things that we're talking about out loud. Um, yeah. And it's just been it's just been lovely to kind of like because we do this every week and we don't know if anybody's listening, but apparently they're listening. Yeah. And if you're joining us for the <laughs> first time, don't forget to download and subscribe. Yes, I've been really excited too. I've been getting a lot of comments and messages also. It's so it's like we do this just kind of on our own rolling seeing each other. We're not mm-hmm. sure who's ever listening. So when we actually right. hear people comment on it, it's kind of nice. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, people are listening. Um, we're we're They're so excited here at the Hot Mess podcast today. Uh, we have a yes. very special guest, Tr- Trixie Mattel. And the entire Yay. production staff is beside themselves. They are listening. They're yes, all Yes, they've been very excited. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. agreed. <laughs> <laughs> and um, today, our theme is, in the Mental Health Podcast, Elastic Thinking. Da, 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 da. Yes. <laughs> elastic Thinking. What comes to mind for you? I'm just curious. What comes to mind for you when you think of a concept like Elastic Thinking? Well, listen, thinking, come on. I, I'm a gay man, and you say the word elastic <laughs> to me. I'm thinking either clothing or my butthole. I'm just, you know, that <laughs> if you want to survive True, in this those racket, are, those are two things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, the ladder, the ladder is still elastic. Well, that's good to hear. I'm uh, glad. Yeah, le- yeah. Listen, listen. It, <laughs> I have, there's reparative <laughs> tissue that takes place if yes. you don't use it for a really it's a long time. Thing. It's like it's a, a beautiful it's thing. It's like a. a it's like if you have a, a pierced ear and you don't have any earrings yeah. for a really long time, it starts to close up. Yes. <laughs> well, you have to get surgery, actually, to make sure that it can become small again, too. Anyways, we're getting off topic. What do you think elastic we thinking are? would be? Okay, uh, yeah. elastic thinking to me is about kind of uh, being a not rigid, the opposite of rigid in your thinking. Elastic thinking yeah. um, uh, allows for more expansive view of things, yes. a more uh, a 360 yes. degree Google Earth perspective of things uh, for your own yeah. benefit. Did Definitely. I get that right? Yeah, that's that's a kind of yay. a good intro to it. I think, yay. Yeah. I think that's a good intro yeah. to it. I think that's kind of like a nice, simple way of describing it, more or less. Um, elast- uh, kind of elastic thinking. Um, we've talked about it on the show before too, neuroplasticity. It's really the capacity for our brain to actually kind of, you know, like kind of move around, shift, and to actually carve out new neural pathways for us to expand our thinking, for us to process Mm -hmm. and reprocess in new ways that can actually be helpful for us. And a way that it has, um, you know, been very much a part of the conversation is more specifically when we're talking about like trauma, you know, kind of the Mm. things that can happen to us in life that really affects, you know, the kind of different parts of our functioning, the different parts of our processing that that can keep us stuck, that can keep us kind of locked in a certain place where we feel safe and we're defensive and then we don't have the ability to move through life in more productive ways. So the idea then talking about elastic thinking to help help us with that. Did I tell you that I did EMDR a couple years ago? 
Oh, did you? Tell, when? Ha- yeah. Okay. So, so for the so for those who do not know what MDR is, mm, um, I don't even know what it is. It stands for eye movement <laughs> desensitization and reprocessing. And essentially yes. what it is, is a therapy f- uh, specifically for trauma. And so what mm-hmm. it does is it helps more or less integrate the different parts of our functionings because there's there's different ways in which we process, the different parts of our brains that mm-hmm. process different things. And so what it does is it's something that, you know, it's uh, it's something very tactile, like maybe there'll be a pulsating thing for on your left leg or uh-huh. your right leg, or you just tap your left and right leg. I had a right pulsating leg. thing in each As- hand. Yes. And as you talk about a traumatic event, what it does is it helps to kind of bridge the gap between the different parts of our processing so we can overall help to um, reprocess the trauma that we've experienced so that we can move through it and heal. What was your experience with it? Right. So what, what, yeah, that's a perfect explanation. To me, it was explained like trauma is like in the hard drive in your brain. It's like Lego, okay? It's like a Lego piece that's in your brain that's locked mm-hmm. together. And um, when you are triggered or when something reminds you, you are experiencing it all over again. Now, right. what the EMDR does, they explain, it was like prying those two Lego pieces apart. So there's a space mm-hmm. in the middle. And they said, and mm-hmm. by doing that and by talking through it and through all the visualizations that they walk you through, your trauma becomes more of a scary movie that you watched yes. instead of a scary movie that you lived. Exactly. So that when it comes up again, it's like, oh, boy, that movie was really scary. But it's not like, oh, my God, do you remember the time where Godzilla actually stepped on our house and it was so horrible? It was like that. And that to me was like because all of my trauma was about money. Uh huh. Um, because we grew up very wealthy. My father lost everything. It Mm -hmm. broke up our family. It was kind of like Mm. where I kind of had to become an adult at 13. And so what happens to me is like every time I make money or every time I don't money, I'm I'm always in the space of having huge anxiety about money. And, you know, at this point with a kid and a mortgage and college coming up, I was like, I don't want to feel this way anymore. So I went to EMDR. She walked me through the events that led up to that. And afterwards, I'm telling you, I haven't worried about money since. Wow, that's I amazing. just don't do it because yeah. I I don't I kind of like and I and I know that by by worrying about finances all the time, I was creating more problems because garbage in, garbage yeah. out. Do you know what I mean? And it, and, exactly. and 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 it did. It also didn't matter what amount of money I had. I would always be in that state of anxiety. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the I love the yeah. yeah, I love the Lego analogy too, because it really is so easy for us to over identify with our experiences and the thinking mm-hmm. that gets attached to those experiences and the feelings that we have as if we are those things. And of course we're not. That's just a part of our brain's functioning. And so when we have a, right. enough of a, a gap, enough of a space for us to see it as something other than who we are, then we have there's more malleability there. There's more elasticity there. And so we yes. actually get to start to rewrite some of those narratives and stories that we've told ourselves. In a way, that's healing. That's amazing that that'll work so well for you. That's that's exactly it because it's like I'm not living that anxiety as a present day thing anymore. Right. It's something that happened more than 50 years ago. I mean, it's ridiculous. Why am I? Why is you know that was to me that was the value of processing that trauma. It was yeah. kind of like I no longer have to live with those events present in my daily life. You know, and then yeah. I processed a whole bunch of other stuff too. Yeah. Before you did that specific treatment for it, the MDR. Do you remember, like, what, how did you used to process? Did you just, did you block it out? Did you not think about it? Did you spin about it all the time? Like, what did you do? So this is what happened. 
um, I was in San Francisco with my kid and my husband and I, and I took a gummy and it was too strong <laughs> and it was, what was the dose? Was a, a, what was a, the a, dose, Alec? It was sativa. Yeah. Do you remember the dose? You know what? I don't know, but it was like the size of a chiclet or an Altoid <laughs> or something. And I, and I, and I opened it up. This is where I should have stopped. I opened it up and it, it made the whole car reek. It reeks. Uh. So I popped it and it was Christmas time. And I was with my husband who had been seeing my entire family d- during this trip. He goes, we need a fucking night out because your family's nuts and they're horrible people. So I, fi- we finally got out to the Castro. We were at that Twin Peaks bar, you know, right next to the mm-hmm. Castro Street Theater. And I had the uh-huh. full on biggest panic attack. Oh. The biggest panic attack to the point where I had to go back to the hotel. My, my, Husband was furious. Um, and my brother who was there, who's really good at talking people out of freakouts, yeah, talked me through it. And the trauma was, yeah. you're in San Francisco. You're the same age Pop was when he lost all this money. Wow. All this stuff is coming up for you. You have a kid yeah. who was your age when we lost all the money. And then my brother finally yeah. said, you're not Pop. You're not pop. Nothing. You're, the same thing's not going to happen to you because it happened. And I was like, oh, but it was like I had no idea I was carrying that around. It took a yeah. it took an overdose of sativa for me too. Um, oh yeah. wow! So it wasn't so it wasn't something that you thought of a lot. It's not like it overwhelmed you or even you know considered it often. It, it was something that came up. Do you know what it is? It's I never had a relaxed view of finances. It was always like, ugh. It was just always. You know, I, I didn't want to talk about it. It was always difficult to, uh, you know, my accountant sat me down. It was always like, why is this so hard? And now yeah. I can talk about it and, and, and yeah. be present. And it's made a world of difference. That's great. And finding the right way to talk about it, too, I think is, is the right strategy for a lot of us, too. Because it's really hard. We, I mean, we, have, we kind of walk a fine line, you know. Do we, do we go back there? Do we revisit it? Do we, you know, have a sense of the things that happened to us? Um, do we, you know, or is that going to be problematic? You know, are we going to get right. stuck in that? You know, so what's that fine line where we can go back and understand how something impacted us without over-identifying with it and without also getting mired down in the stories of it in a way that offers this elastic thinking um, and an That's opportunity to rewrite these stories for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I didn't go yeah. back to the past to take into the present. I went went back to the past to get rid of the past. Now, speaking of the past, our guest today <laughs> has a super colorful past. And speaking of elastic thinking, she's taken that past and turned it into one of the most colorful, technicolor, fabulous careers. Our guest today is Trixie Mattel. Matthew Dempsey, Yay! are you excited? I'm so excited. Yay! Okay, <laughs> we'll talk to Trixie right after this. Hi. Hi, <laughs> right on time. You guys really wait the time of the commercials, huh? You wait the whole time. <laughs> okay. We don't edit. All right, Alec, go ahead. You go first. All right, that was a real, I do have, I do have notes on that opening. Okay. <laughs> do you want me to give them now? <laughs> now or no, later? Alec, like Alec what? <laughs> oh, wait, I start. It's, it's me, isn't it? You start. <laughs> okay, okay, sorry, wait. sorry, sorry. Oh, all right, all right, all right. Go, go, you go. ready? Okay. Yes. We are beyond excited to talk to our guest today. Shut up! <laughs> Let's try that again. <laughs> okay. Okay, in the clear. Five, four, okay, three, okay, two. Okay. <clears throat> 
We are beyond excited to talk to our guest today. She is a world-famous drag queen, author, entrepreneur, musician, and comedian. You may know her from season seven of RuPaul's Drag Race and winner of season three of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. She recently lost season... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna start from What's recently. so funny about my <laughs> resume? Just nothing. Yeah, okay, wait, I'm actually finish, anxious. Just... I'm actually anxious to read the next because I don't. Okay, okay, okay. She recently. Okay, she recently launched season six of her show mm, on Wow Presents Plus, and it is hilarious. Check out her podcast, The Bald and the Beautiful, that she co-hosts with Katya Zamo. And you can always see her on her YouTube channel, Trixie Cosmetics TV, which has over 1.3 million followers. We're so thrilled she's here with us today. You know her, you love her. Uh, please welcome Trixie Mattel. Oh, geez, that was Yay, the most arduous intro ever. You look fantastic. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you. I know it's a long resume. If you want me to get you a less decorated drag queen, we can arrange that. Yeah, yeah. Please welcome uh, Venus Delight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Please welcome Lady Bunny. Um, this is what people don't know about you. When I meet, when I met you in person, you're like you're like fucking cute. Like you're like a big Midwestern boy. You're like, I was like, you I hugged am. me at Casita del Campo and I was like, just just let, let this happen a little while longer. You're a big <laughs> giant white boy. <laughs> I am, I am. People don't realize, I mean, obviously in drag, I play with proportion. Yeah. So like big eyes, big hair, you know, and then out of drag, I'm six feet tall, 195 mm -hmm. pounds. I'm a giant. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm thin and short for Midwest. <laughs> in Wisconsin, I'm the shortest one in my family. Everyone really? is, I swear to God, everyone in Wisconsin, 6'2 and 250 pounds. Everyone. Wow. Whoa. I had sex with a man from Wisconsin who was seven feet tall, but it wasn't proportional. <laughs> well, what uh -oh. did you do? What, did, did, you, did you ride on your shoulders or what? I, I climbed him. I was, he was like a jungle gym. I spent the day there on the swings. <laughs> is what well, I that, did. Is, that is the thing because you know how people are always like, I love little skinny guys. They have huge dicks. I'm like, no, they don't. They're standing next to their normal dick. <laughs> In a picture, yeah, I'm sure it's huge. But like... They, in a picture, a skinny guy looks like one of those French children carrying a baguette. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, but that doesn't mean it's going to be big in real life. Oh, la, la. So you came up with the topic today, elastic thinking, uh, and, and how it served you in this lifetime. Go. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I have a very, let's say, I just really bounce back. I don't mm -hmm. let my environment, my situation, I don't let things I can't control, you know, whatever fish tank I'm in, I kind of have like a, what can I control? And it, you really have to keep yourself out of any sort of why me, why me? I don't really mm -hmm. ever entertain that. Yes. And that's why even though like, you know, I mean, especially being on reality TV and talking about the way I was, I grew up, you know, uh, a lot of my... Uh, the way I grew up became like my storyline in a lot of ways. People mm -hmm. related to it. But as a person who was like abused or whatever, I mean, I don't identify as a victim. I don't let mm -hmm. it, I don't carry it around. And I think part of it's because every, I, I just feel very circular about how everybody has trauma and everybody's dealing with something. And at a certain point, like you were saying in the intro, I think a lot of uh, what happens to you you can willfully replay it and talk about, isn't this horrible? Something happened to me. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's like, okay, but today's a new day. Look what else can happen for you if, you know, yeah. take control of your life a little bit, you know? 
That's how I feel. Yeah, it sounds like what you're talking about is just resilience, which is which is not an automatic thing for people. It's something that we consciously choose and not playing a victim, but, you know, kind of knowing how to actually learn from experiences or move through the experiences is, is resilience and what you've been able to do. Yeah, and it's like, is there a healthy middle of like, don't live in the past, don't pretend it didn't happen. Where's that middle where you go like, I love where I am now, so... I also love the first few chapters that weren't so great because here I am, I, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. right. I always tell my mom, if you would have let me play with Barbie dolls, you know, I could have been a real estate agent by now. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> here we are. Yeah. And part of me is like, maybe this obsession with girl toys and obsession with, you know, hyper femininity came from, you know, the stifling of that as an adult. I mean, which if, if I had all that as a kid, I think Trixie would be like a nice girl in a flannel. You know what I mean? Nice girl with not much makeup on it, a flannel. Right, right. Yeah. Trixie, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I don't want you to, I don't necessarily want you to have to go back and kind of like tell your full story, but but what to you actually are the defining parts of your story about, you know, specifically around things that were maybe traumatic for you, for those who might not know? You came, you brought me here to relive my trauma so you guys could sell ad space. <laughs> pretty much. I know what this is. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> And we'll be right back with Trixie's abuser's mm-hmm. social security number. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to talk about Squarespace. No. Squarespace is an easy-to-use platform. <laughs> We're not going to be happy until you actually shit your pants live on the program. Well, until listen. you saw yourself reliving whatever it is you went through. Don't threaten me with a good time. Also, you showed your age twice today, Alec, when you said, I got to get my cheaters, my glasses. Yes. And then you're the only person besides me who calls it a program. <laughs> I'm and old, I don't just say program. I say program. Girl, program. I'm like your grandma. I'm 10 times older than you are. It's, it's, you know what you were talking earlier about, you know, the, the why me, why me thing is like to be in this business and to be a queer, queer person growing up, our survival depends on a certain amount on, on that resilience because yeah. of all the disappointments we go through. Um, I just did a pilot for ABC. They passed. I was really attached to the income. It's being shopped uh. around. And I have to really kind of, in order to move on, I have to like kind of acknowledge that it sucks and and then kind of move on from it. Because otherwise I'm going to be stuck in that why me, why me thing. Like, and like now I'm already thinking what's next. And I think that as queer people, and would you agree, those are kind of survival skills that we develop as young people who are different? Uh, yeah, because I mean, of, of course, being queer for me was complicating as a child or whatever. But, you know, for me, being gay was like, honestly, the least of my worries with some of the other stuff I had going on. You know, the mm-hmm. I don't really talk about it too much, but I mean, they don't even like make movies about the level of physical and sexual abuse mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. went through, you know? Mm-hmm. But I guess for me as an adult, speaking to what you're talking about, it's always like, this is what was, what what chunk of my life was ruined or whatever, right? Uh-huh. And I always just feel like I, as an adult, that thing at the grocery store you put between your groceries and someone else's. Yeah. Yes. It's like, I could see those groceries. They're not, this is how much I am allowing this to occupy. Yeah. Wow. And then this is all what I'm in control of. I mean, I'm not an alcoholic, but I think alcoholics talk about that thing. What is it? The, the courage to control whatever, the wisdom to know what you can control. Yes. Yes. Oh, uh, the serenity the Lord prayer. Grab yeah. me the serenity to uh, change yeah. the things I can and uh, to let go of the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. Something like that. Yeah. yeah, and like even as a queer person, it was like once I realized that wasn't going to go away and it wasn't a phase, it was like, well, 
I can't really change that. So like, what can I do? I just, yeah. in everything, in business, in, in everything, I always, in personal life, I always have like an approach of like, what can I do? I'm like a realistic optimist. I'm like, let's look right at the problem. Yeah. But let's talk solutions, you know? Totally. Mm. Was that an organic thing? Did you like go through therapy or something? Or was it just kind of an organic, conscious, like realization that you had about it? I'm just incredibly well adjusted. <laughs> no, what's funny is uh, I... I I, I don't know. I mean, I always feel funny because pe people who like Trixie are often people who have some sort of mental illness, people with depression. I think it's because I have a very dark, dry, stale sense of humor. Mm. That was probably a huge pad for me um, as an adult or as a young person. I started playing guitar at 12. I had this huge outlet. I did nothing but play music. I loved it. Um, I was good at school. I got, you know, almost perfect grades. I think I just lucked out in that... I had things to focus on that I could control that I liked. Mm. I don't know. I think yeah. that's what I, I really lucked out in that way. And it's funny to be a cross-dresser of almost 15 years and tell everyone that you're well-adjusted. <laughs> like, <laughs> I do think at 18, 17, finding cross-dressing, being able to step out of yourself, being able to... And I had this vision for Trixie where it was like, okay, there's this doll, this toy that I always wanted. I always loved Barbie. I mean, my, I used to go to the, I wasn't allowed to have Barbie, but I used to go to the stores and go to the toy aisle and just like hold her this close to my face. Mm -hmm. And just like, I wanted to be in that box. I mean, the way toys are displayed, everything is perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, and I loved the Brady Bunch. I loved very idyllic, you know, AstroTurf families. And I loved that. Yeah. And to me, the fantasy of that and then creating Trixie, who is sort of her biggest issue is what she's going to wear that day. It was really healthy for me, I think, to be able to really step out of my real life. Yeah. Right. Well, Trixie, I think uh, you told our, our producer um, earlier before we started the show that you, and I didn't realize this, you actually got the name Trixie from your stepdad who used to call you Trixie, but like in a, in a you know, kind of to put you down. Yeah, so it's kind of an older term, but like a Trixie, you would, you know, it's like a way of calling someone a faggot. It's that whenever yeah. I was acting too emotional or too feminine, it'd be like, stop crying. You, you look, you're like a little Trixie. You know, I would get made fun of for being sort of like sensitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's like anytime abuse of some kind or something shook me, I'm crying, and then I'd be called a Trixie. So it's crazy because it used to be a word that was kind of as bad as any slur to me. And now it's like, that's the word that's put clothes on my back now. El like elasticity. Yeah. It's a good thing you didn't call you cocksucker because then you would have been cocksucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, cocksucker, co I still get called that. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> but only because I ask people to call me that. <laughs> I want to talk to you. Sorry, I just wanted to say on about, that note too because okay, I ahead. think that that's, you know, it just as an example of how you're able to take something that was used, you know, you know, against you or you know, abusively and you can kind of turn it into something then that is a positive thing for you. You are the one who takes control over that, empowerment from that, and then be able to rewrite your story through that, through Trixie specifically. When you talked about standing because you talked earlier about your fans and how you said uh, the people who are attracted to Trixie uh, have uh, experienced a certain amount of abuse or trauma. When you talked about um, holding the doll in the store as a child and not at that world, not being open to you because of your gender and because you would have been made fun of. It's like so much of what Trixie does lets people live out those fantasies. You demonstrate oh, yeah. toys on the on your YouTube channel, you play with easy bake ovens and everything. Do you hear a lot of your? It, it's like you're championing that kid from the past. Like you didn't get that when you were a kid, and now you're getting that now, and that's deliberate, right? 
Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, especially even being, you know, from a household that was half white, half Native American, mm -hmm. Trixie also, it's not an accident that she represents the most inflated version of Americanized Caucasian beauty, too. She oh, appears to be rich, blonde, white. In Trixie's world, she's straight. You know what I mean? That's a straight mm -hmm. woman. Mm -hmm. uh, she really, to me, I, it, it's like the perfect life in a way. And so when I talk about people's trauma, it's like, I think people can tell that for me, this instrument, this, you know, this is my Alvira, this is my peewee. Mm -hmm. This for me was made as, I think, it's sort of like, you know, you're supposed to go in the world and have your chosen family. You're supposed to build the life you want. And really through Trixie, I've gotten to any girl toy I ever wanted, any, you know, I used to be not allowed to wear pink. Yeah. Every inch of my house is pink. Everything. Yeah. Wow. And I think you could look at that as like, wow, that person was uh, hurt really young and can't get over it. But I think of it as like, I really have just chosen to have the life I always wanted through Trixie. Yeah. And I think that inspires people, even if they hate the color pink. <laughs> <laughs> it is inspiring. And it is somebody who was, you know, hurt when they were really young and mm -hmm. who actually is getting through it and who has been able to get through it through something like this. I mean, even just what you were describing, being able to create this character that you can give all the things that you maybe ever wanted is something we call reparenting. So that's actually something that is really healing for some of the traumas that we can experience. And you're doing that in a very kind of conscious and active way too. So very helpful. Matthew, is there anything that you weren't allowed to do as a kid that you let yourself do now besides have sex with men? <laughs> well, that's the biggest one. <laughs> That's the biggest he one. He did that as a kid. He did that a lot as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, as a way as a way of reparenting yourself. Yeah. Um, I would say uh, two things is is just one that I that there really wasn't my I didn't come from a family that was very emotional or talked about like too too much and kind of like deep rich emotionally. So that's mm -hmm. kind of why I do what I do and also why I try to put that out there for anybody else who might not have that. And then yeah, absolutely, just being gay and not being able to talk about those things. So I do gay therapy and it hits both notes. Talking about elasticity, like. I've learned, you know, growing up, someone will be like, I'd have a friend in high school who was like wrecked because her dad yelled at her. And, you know, on the mm -hmm. inside, I'm like, give me a break, Mary. Like, yeah, yelled at you. That's it. Right. And I guess that's when I started to realize it's never like the trauma Olympics. It's never the whose situation is worse because speaking to elasticity, some people don't bounce back the same as other people. Mm -hmm. And uh, some people maybe don't have the tools or the outlets to sort of like let things pour over in a way that works for them. And for me, I just, I mean, I really just think I've lucked out. Like, I'm probably a little pricklier than most people. I'm a little harder to get close to maybe, but I think I am lucky that I, I think elasticity is a good word because you can acknowledge times you were stretched or yeah. like that was a tight, you know, but you can also acknowledge that you can bounce back. It goes both ways. It's not about putting a blind spot in your life to everything bad that ever happened to you. Yeah. It's about almost like the universe being big and everyone's problems being real and being tr being hurt or something bad happened to you. It's not even unique. It's sort of what bonds us all together, you know? My therapist told me, gave me an exercise because you focus too much on the negative. So anytime you're having fun, I want you to say out loud, this is fun. This is fun. I'm having yeah. fun. This is fun. <laughs> So as a way of focusing so... on the, but, but so the next week I came back and he was like, well, how'd it go this week? And I said, um, I said it a lot. And he goes, when did you say it? I said, whenever I was eating. <laughs> this is fun. I'm obsessed with you having sex and going, this is fun. This is fun. This is, this is fun. 
<laughs> yeah. It's also very like a housewives thing or something to go like to like sit down at brunch and be like, this is fun. This is fun. This is fun. <laughs> right, a quick fun. question for you. Rick Santorum uh, got in a trouble on CNN because he said that uh, Christians came to America and there was nothing here except the Native Americans. And, and, and he's like, there's really oh, not I saw. much. I, oh, oh, I yeah. saw. And when he said there wasn't any Native American culture in American culture, I was like, you mean every lake, every state that's named after a Native American tribe? Not The to name ma- of yeah. every city. Yeah, yeah, every city. So you're a, you're Ojibwe, and not too many people know that about you. Yeah. I, yes. Now, how did that culture inform you growing up? Can you tell us a little bit about, about that, the Native American side of you? Well, it's interesting, Alec, because uh, I – I mean, the most anti-racist thing you can do is acknowledge the system. And because my skin is white, I went to mm-hmm. a white school, white friends. I listen to country music. My favorite show is The Office. Like, I am culturally <laughs> very white. Mm-hmm. And only as an adult did I really maybe start to realize certain things. I mean, a family of alcoholism, a family of being dirt poor. This is yes. all part of a system yes. that harmed Native American people. Uh-huh. And because my skin is white and I have the fortune, unfortunately, of being treated like a white man in America, like only recently I would say with um, talking more to my mom and maybe thinking more about my grandma. And I was just talking to my mom about being Native American and how she feels about it because, you know, spiritually we don't believe the earth is a turtle or the moon is a wolf. I mean, that's all a little hokey pokey for us, but there are certain things about being Native American, good and bad, that we have inherited that we don't really notice. Bad things like, you know, being poor. I mean, being Native American. Ask anybody. Go to the reservation. Yes. It's gorgeous. It's The water is clear. The sun is out. It's a lot of hardcore social problems. Uh And people are basically stuck in the corner of a state and the rest of the world just doesn't look at them. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah. The mental problems, the substance abuse, like like a pill. I mean, it's a it's horrible, and it, you don't really realize it because you don't think about it. And um, as a, as a child, though, it was great. I mean, my grandma was you know we had great Native American meals. Whenever there's a lot of things we do include, like in my family, when someone dies, we do certain religious practices at funerals that we still do. But again, we're sort of a half white, half Native American family, so. We'll read the rosary at her funeral, but then when we're burying the casket, we'll throw tobacco on the casket, which is like an Ojibwe thing. So we kind of do a mix. That's awesome. Yeah, I th- I, I, but I like what you were saying also about the fact, obviously, there are certain privileges, you know, passing as white, those kinds of things that you've been able to, you know, have adva- uh, as an advantage. But also the fact that there are still legitimate things as being a part uh, of, you know, like the Native American community and having that be a part of your history and your culture, there's collective trauma. And so, of course, there's obviously systems of oppression that keep certain communities kind of down. And that's kind of, you know, where being poor comes from and, and all the, those kinds of things. But also, energetically speaking, in the ways that that trauma gets passed from generation to generation is a very fucking real thing, too. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that we also harbor. And the only way that we can actually you know, be able to kind of like heal from that and process that so we can help break some of that cycle, um, aside from activism, but also the internal work that we can do is by, you know, calling that out and being able to process that in some new ways. Yeah, I mean, I never really thought about it when I was younger. You know, my skin was really fair. I'm not full Native American, but I mean, I remember being in school and I remember people with Native American last names or copper skin being treated certain ways. And I wasn't treated any of those ways. So I hate Mm -hmm. to say it, but like colorism 
worked in my favor as a child. Yes. Because I had yeah. a brown mom, but I was treated like a white kid, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's a really weird thing to think about. And when you're young, you don't think about it because you don't understand it. So as right. an adult, you have to go, wow, I really lucked out in these ways because the universe treated me like a white man. But in mm-hmm. other ways, under the surface, I never realized maybe we were dirt poor because of it. I never right. realized we have a family of alcoholics because of yes. this. Like, mm-hmm. yep. you never think about it. Yes. Like, yeah, exactly. that's the caste system that we're born into, you know, in, in, in the United States. So you benefited from being, uh, uh, you know, passing for the dominant caste while you had brown people in your family. I think that's the next a cultural reckoning for us because I remember driving through the Southwest and seeing reservations for the first time and it was like being in another country. And it was clear that everybody was just it pushed is. onto this land and it's like, you're on your own. So um, I think you're the next uh, Sashi Little Feather. You're going to be the next Native American <laughs> activist. <laughs> well, like I said, like, cu- I mean, culturally, I also really sell as a white person. I mean, I'm in a blonde wig playing an auto harp. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But again, I never realized when I was creating Trixie, probably a big part of why this look was so idyllic to me is because she is Caucasian Americanized, basically a clown version of that. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. as a kid, especially... The rich white blonde families in our small towns were probably the richest with like the hottest parents, best cars, most money. I mean, you don't think about it when you're younger. Uh, but again, when I was younger, I had bigger fish to fry than, you know, the blonde girls in my class. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. So um, now you talk about elasticity in terms of you need a lot of elasticity after the year you're on Drag Race. And it's it's more common for queens to kind of disappear after the show. And you've really like... I've been rewatching season seven recently and you weren't in the top three and you've, you've eclipsed everybody. Was that part no, of the plan? No, I mean, plan? I did horrible. Yeah. Uh, it was never a plan, but again, like I just, uh, I like to do stuff. I l- I've had multiple jobs since I was like 14 and I was, you know, in extracurriculars and marching band and I got straight A's and I had two part-time jobs, you know, I was that person in college who had two jobs. I was in beauty school with two jobs. You know, I've always worked a lot. It's the first thing I think about when I wake up. And I'm very fortunate because my work is so fulfilling. Yeah. And this character that I've created that's basically the Barbie doll I always wanted, but you pull the string on her back, instead of saying, let's go to the mall, I've created a character that talks about the anxieties of adulthood. Mm-hmm. So I've created this fun vessel to talk about whatever keeps me up at night in a way that makes everyone laugh. And it's like... We really are just doing laugh yoga full time. Yeah. <laughs> people go to a room and say like, I have cancer and everyone laughs and it's supposed to be healing. You know, yeah. it's, it's, but for me being busy after season seven, when RuPaul looked me dead in the eye and said, you're eliminated, you're not America's Next Strike Superstar. I just have the type of personality where I'm stubborn. I can't be told anything. So even when RuPaul says you're not the Next Strike Superstar, I was like, bitch, hold my beer. I just, that's my energy. And I also think I've gotten lucky because I don't look like any other drag queens. I don't do an act that's similar to drag queens. So I just stay in my own lane. Like nothing I do now uh, or Netflix or my podcast or my beauty company. I'm not like taking a job from another drag queen. I'm not Uh really even competing with other drag queens because I'm just over here, you know, in a wig cooking in an easy bake oven. No one wants to do that but me. <laughs> so, I think I just get lucky. I'm just a hard worker. You know, I just ran a marathon two weeks ago and everyone's like, why? I was like, because I wanted to know if I could do it. Yeah. Yeah, I did. yeah. Well, it's like you're a hard, you're a hard worker 
And, uh, but also it sounds like really mindful and intentional about the things that you're doing, that you're not really trying to necessarily prove anything or compete with anybody else. You know what your lane is. You feel passionately about it. You know how to, you know, kind of just charge ahead in a way that makes you light up because it's helping you process shit. It's helping you heal, but you're just having fun. So it's like all the fucking things. And it sounds like that's like, yeah, that's like the perfect fucking recipe for all the success that you've had. Yeah, I mean, it's and, and, and back to the elasticity thing, it's like, no matter what happens to you, I just always feel like you have the option of identifying as a victim or a survivor. Yeah. You know, and that's two different energies. It's yes. two different energies. What can it's you also control? It's what? also two very specific perspectives. Either life is going to happen to you or life is happening for you. And if you're able to take the shit that's happened to you and be able to use that in some way that helps propel you forward to do the things you want, then that's the one. Yeah. Tell us about your podcast. Well, my podcast is called The Bald and the Beautiful. Uh, Kati and I are doing a podcast. Uh, we've been going, I don't know how many episodes now, but uh, it's been great. We had wonderful, wonderful. Um, you know it's good when the ad sales are sold out for the year. That's the only way to know if your podcast is doing good. So uh, it's fun. We don't have to get in drag, which is great. It's nice to give people's boners a break for once. You know, they're not looking at us in drag. <laughs> and we talk about, we, we're basically two balds who talk to people who we think are beautiful. People who, we've talked to makeup artists, photographers, models, drag queens, porn actors, people uh, we asked them to talk about their relationship with beauty, inner beauty, outer beauty, oh. anything as superficial as brow products to when did you first look in the mirror and see yourself as beautiful? Everybody has a different story and it's really uh -huh. interesting. And that's it. That's it. No, <laughs> that's you know where I went? You know where I went? I wanted to let that hang in the moment uh, for a minute because I, I recognized I was beautiful in retrospect. I kind of never had a moment where I was young and beautiful where I was like, I'm young and beautiful. But I look at pictures of myself when I'm in my 20s. And I'm like, boy, she was a knockout. And yeah. <laughs> that is kind of like uh, because I have like, again, elastic thinking. I think when yeah. I grew up, the standard of beauty was Caucasian. I wasn't taught to see the beauty in somebody who looked like me. And now yeah. as an older person with a reparenting and going back to our um, our, our theme of the day, elastic thinking, it's allowed me to forgive and have a more expansive way of thinking, even when looking at myself. Yeah, yeah my beauty mantra is always like, you're the only one who doesn't have to fuck you. So what you think of yourself has nothing to do with how other people might feel about the way you look. I've never heard it put that way. It. You're yeah, the only either. one who doesn't have to fuck you. Yes. So like if someone thinks you're hot, it's a yes and moment. Don't be critical yeah. of it. It has nothing yeah. to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. You can go, well, I'm glad you're satisfied with our services. You know, would you like to take a survey? I mean, you know. And I've always thought people are going to be into me. There's going to be people who don't like me because I'm bald. There's tons of guys who love shaved heads. Yeah. There's going to be people who think I'm too feminine. There's tons of guys who love femme guys. I mean, it's yeah. all, it's not about what you think of yourself. And again, that's almost a little bit elastic too, where it's like, yes. it doesn't have to do with the truth even. It just has to do with perspective. Perspective. Yeah, when you can think beyond your own self and you have that elastic capacity to see beyond just kind of your own perspective on things, yeah. Yeah, and in drag, what do we do for a living? We basically, we, we dress up and enjoy pretty privilege for mm -hmm. a few hours. Mm -hmm. You know, you enter the room in drag, the whole room thinks you are magnetically gorgeous. Mm -hmm. You get out of drag, you can go in the same room, walk to the end of the room and back and nobody will notice you. And once you play with those extremes, 
you also realize how much the whole system means nothing. And you're like, I'm just vibing. Oh, wow. Beauty is so uh, perspective only. You are always going to be someone's thing. And you're never going to be everyone's thing. I mean, it's just yeah. the truth. Yep. That, and it's so subjective. You've said a billion things today that I needed to hear. So thank you for that. Um, where can... Uh, well, Matt we usually... and I are trying to help you on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you notice? This, did, this is did an everybody... intervention. This is a psych, psych, psychological yeah. break. Stop, We're trying to help yeah, you. Yeah, stop, <laughs> stop doing what you're doing. We love you. Um, we, You're hurting people. Uh, <sighs> did you notice how I just let that silence just kind of sit there? And just kind of let that be okay. Yeah. Like a year ago, Matt, I yes. would have been like, oh my God, the conversation died. But I loved it. I love that. And I hope they keep it in. We always end the show. Well, now uh, they have to. Now they have to. Uh, we always wrap things up. Last week, we had Coco Peru on and my dog started snoring on the bed in the middle of the podcast. And it was audible. While She's she used was- to people <laughs> snoring during her shows. <laughs> While she was talking about a near-death experience, you could hear my dog like. (laughs) It was hilarious. It was By the way, I love that it was probably you or Matt snoring and you guys blamed on the dog. Very very brave. We usually. You know, I love her. She's like, she's like one of my favorite. She's the best. She's the best. Entertainers. She's the best ever, ever. Just uh, knowledgeable and smart and. And, a, and an amazing entertainer. Um, I'm so excited about your trajectory, your music, and the makeup, and all the activity that's it's really paying off. Um, I'm a huge fan. You're cute as a goddamn button in person, so you're my thing. Uh, we usually wrap things up with a hot mess for our viewers. Given, given like, uh, okay, like all the people who do come to your shows and everything, and and uh, are attracted to your story. What would your hot message be to them? given where you are right now. Oh my God. Yeah. Like if you wanted them to know, yeah, if you wanted them to know one thing today, all your, both of your fans who are listening, if you wanted them to know one thing, yeah, both of them. (laughs) Uh, No refunds. (laughs) Seriously. I have, I mean, you know, my material is a little dark and aggressive. Sometimes I have walkouts all the time and I feel nothing when it happens. (laughs) Wow. Jackie Beat says when she sees somebody walk out of the show, she yells, get the fuck out of here. So it's her choice. <laughs> so she could frame it like she kicked yeah, someone that out. Yeah, she kicked somebody out of the show. She is <sighs> such an icon. I'm obsessed yeah. with her. Um, I just always feel I'm so happy that drag has moved in a way that's more accessible, mainstream. But don't ever for a second forget that you are enjoying an art form where people drink pee and staple things to themselves and masturbate with a crucifix. Mm. So I just always urge drag audiences to remember that it is not the Disney princess hour, no matter <laughs> how much you want it to be. Yeah. And I love that people like Jackie are still out there reminding people that we are damaged homosexuals enjoying an art form with no boundaries that is aggressive, filthy, dangerous, and sexualized and offensive, mm. and that should never change. Mm. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Should never change. Um, where can people find you on your socials? You can find me everywhere at Trixie Mattel. I'm very lucky to have that handle everywhere. You can shop with us at Trixie Cosmetics. You can watch me on Netflix. Uh, season six of Uh is out now. And my YouTube channel, new videos every single week. 
And uh, listen to the podcast, The Bald and the Beautiful. And if you like music, my new EP comes up tomorrow. Trixie Mattel, full coverage. It's an album, a little EP of all covers. We cover Cher, um, Johnny Cash, everything. Ema yeah. Sumac, uh, Marilyn Manson. Yeah, Ema Sumac. <laughs> the icon, I, I just, I know that Marilyn Manson is canceled. Uh, yes. I think he's canceled right now. Yeah. But I only recently started listening to his music. Mm-hmm. And I wish as a kid he didn't scare me so much because <laughs> now as an adult stuff. looking back, I'm like, yeah. this is drag. Yeah. This is drag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was the Boulé brothers before Aggressive, the Boulé brothers. Feminine, yeah. sexual, yeah, dirty. That song, Personal Jesus, him basically making fun of religious people in a song to their face. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, you're amazing. Anyways. Thank you so much for doing the show. I want to be on your show. Yes, I just invited you. myself to come on your show and, and talk about beauty. Well, it's the bald and the beautiful. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll cover the bald. You can okay. be the beautiful. There you go. It's a deal. We love you so much. Thank you for being on the show today. We'll talk Thank to you, you soon, Jesse. okay? Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Alec. Bye. Bye. Wow, that was, I said so many things that I needed to hear today. This was my intervention, Matthew. <laughs> Wait, I brought up this. I am off the rails. Um, I am criminally insane. Okay, uh, uh, my producer uh, brought up the serenity prayer, and I. this is my hot message for the day. I didn't even write it. Uh, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. There you go. Yes. How's that? It's about perspectives. Yeah, what's your What's your hot message of the day, Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist to the stars? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess just to piggyback off of that, I would say kind of similarly, it's it's about balance. It's about recognizing, being able to like check in on the stories that we've told ourselves throughout our lives, whether traumatic or just really intense um, and painful, and not over identify with those experiences and not get like locked down in them but enough that we can understand how it actually impacted us neurobiologically. Like trauma is a real thing that happens in Mm. our body. And when we Mm. recognize that that's something that's going on internally, then we have the capacity to be able to do certain things that helps us move through that and heal what's going on inside of ourselves and redirect certain neural pathways in our brains so that we can experience things less intensely and we can show up even more for our lives. So balance. You're beautiful inside and out. Where can people Thank find you. you on your socials? <laughs> a big boy. You can find me at <laughs> you can find me at MJ Dempsey Psych on Instagram and Twitter and Matthew J Dempsey Psychotherapy on Facebook. I like when you say don't identify with your trauma, don't over identify with it, because that's all I'll do. That's all I yeah. do. I identify yeah. with everything and I take everything in personally, which is why this Yeah, a lot of people do. It's like this. And I'm always working through it. You can find me at Alec Mappa on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can find us both at Stage29 Podcasts on, on Instagram and the Twitter. We love doing this podcast for you. I mean, we want to take the sting out of talking about mental health. Um, so we're going to talk week after week after week. We want to hear from you. Don't forget to download and subscribe. Tune in next week for more Hot Mess Fun. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent.
For more information, please go to stage29.tv.